Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner and founder and owner of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. Um, as we do with all episodes, the intent of the program is to provide an educational experience for our viewers and we like to talk about the various areas and six different areas of financial planning. Uh, today's episode is going to be touching upon retirement planning and as you may recall, uh, a few weeks ago I did a uh, episode that talked about 401ks and retirement plans and pension plans and talked about the defined contribution plan versus the defined benefit plan. Well, I'm pleased today to bring in an expert in that particular industry who does exactly that. And welcome, Nick Kennedy. Mike, good to see you. Likewise, I got Nick Kennedy here, who's the re regional vice president of Emeritus Retirement. Uh, I've actually used Nick um, for a couple retirement plans that I've done for clients and businesses of our own. And I thought this was a perfect opportunity to bring Nick on board to kind of share um, you know, that particular thing. So Nick, thank yeah. you. Tell me a yeah. couple minutes, uh, tell me you know, what you do and tell me about your company. Well, you alluded to it, Mike. I, uh, I work with financial professionals, professionals, their business owner clients and those employees. And basically what I try to do is, is, is look at their plans and look for areas of opportunities where we can maybe craft a plan that will lead to better retirement outcomes and also make them aware of pitfalls and potholes that are out there because mm -hmm. these plans are highly regulated. Uh, there's a lot of oversight. So we want to make sure that they have all their I's dotted and their T's crossed with regards to the, the regulations they have to follow. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of different things. The regulations are changing in mm -hmm. our industry, as you know, obviously. Yep. We're living through it, becoming yeah. more regulated. But um, one of the things that, that clearly, and I think I pointed out in the prior episode is that we've gotten away from the pension plans. That's right. And as you know, 2005, and here's some statistics you may or may not know, in 2005, out of the top 100 companies in the U.S., 87 of them had pension plans. Right. In 2000, Defined benefit, like traditional yes, defined correct, benefit correct. plan. Yes, correct, correct. And right, in right, 2000 right. was uh, 50, and in 2005, there was only 17. So wow. you're right. obviously seeing that change. And what have you also observed? How yeah. long have you been in a business? Well, about 25 years, actually. Okay. So I've been mostly doing, I mean, I've worked with defined benefit plans, but mostly it's been on the defined contribution side. You know, and it's very interesting, Mike, if you go back into history, um, you know, the whole, the whole defined benefit plan came out of the Industrial Revolution. You know, if you worked for a factory in a village for 30 years, you know, and, and you were no longer able to work, you retired and, you know, you didn't have any money to live on. So it was really a paternalistic approach that these business owners decided to take. Let's give some people some money so they don't live in poverty in their later days, right? Uh, fast forward, and these plans become very, very expensive because people are living longer. Right, right? exactly. So, so the shift that you talked about really is an economic one for the business owners, like, hey, we can no longer afford to fund these defined benefit plans, so we're going to shift the burden to the, uh, to the plan participants. Right. So plan participants really have to decide things like how much do they want to contribute, where to, their invest, where to invest their own money, and then how to take the money out in retirement. That's, no, that's something that you didn't have to worry about with the defined benefit plan. Absolutely. Well, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, don't underestimate, and this is what I tell clients all the time, don't underestimate um, the intricacies of pulling the money out yes. in retirement because there's a lot of things. You don't want to take it out when it's, the markets are down, et cetera. So, um, what else can you tell me about the changes that you've observed? Like, are, are we expecting anything under the new administration? 
Uh, I'll be interested to see. I mean, there's a lot of things that get floated floated out there all the time about state-sponsored plans, for instance. I think a few of them have dipped their toes in that water. What do you mean by uh, that? State-sponsored retirement savings plans. For instance, you know, a lot of the people that I work with, Mike, are small business, small business right, owners. Correct. A lot of small business owners don't offer retirement plans, you know, for whatever reason. They can't afford them or whatnot. So, so some governments are looking at that and saying, hey, we need to fill in the gap here and offer some kind of statewide 401k plan, so to speak. Really? Yeah, we'll see what that looks like. I mean, like I said, Oregon, some other states have kind of dipped their toes in. Uh, we'll see what they look like. Ultimately, though, I mean, I mean, a, a lot of the changes the government's made over the years have made a lot of improvements. Let's go back to, for instance, 2006, Pension Protection Act. You know, previously to, previous to that rule, when people joined their plan, they didn't know where to invest. The business owner might default the participants into something like a money market fund. Right. Okay? Money market fund is, is great because you don't lose any money on it, but it's not but so great. But it doesn't make anything If either. you're 35 years old, it's not the best place to pay your not. money. So, so they came out with a rule that allows people to default, uh, allows business owners to default their participants into something like a target date fund. Right. Can and, you explain uh, a target? I, I know yeah, what a target date fund right. is, but for the that's viewer, right. can you explain a target date sure, fund? Sure. They're, they're one of the most popular retirement savings vehicles now because they manage the money for you. Okay, so I'm an unsophisticated investor. I don't know where to put my money. Uh, the business owner might look at me and say, look, since you don't know where to put your money, we're going to put you in this target date fund based on your age. So if I was born in 1980, let's say, I might be going into a 2045 target retirement fund uh, with the idea that that's my When you retire at age 65, 65 right? right? Yeah, so, so you start with a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, and then that portfolio is on a glide path to get you gradually more conservative as you get closer right. to that target retirement well, age. Well, I would imagine that also takes a lot of liability off the employer. It does, it does, yeah, because again, the concern before that was, I don't want any of my participants to lose money because, well, they might come back and, and yell at me or sue me or something. Of course. But, but now the, 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 um, the mindset is, well, I don't want my participant to not make any money in growth. I want them to be diversified, professionally managed, and so forth. So it does. It, it's a much better alternative. It's not ideal, though, because think about it, Mike. Uh, that 2045 target retirement fund that I talked about doesn't take into account your risk tolerance, right? Of I mean, course you not. work with people all the time. If somebody came into you and said, Mike, manage my retirement money, and the only question you asked them was, what year were you born? Of course, I know. That, that might not be the it. best thing. Yeah, so, so there's limit it's, it's better than the way it was, but there's limitations to those target date funds. Sure. Well. well, most plans that you do, don't the employer have a financial advisor involved, or do mm -hmm. you do plans directly with the employer? Yeah, I, I almost always work through financial advisors. You know? right. and, and the small business owners really need the extra help, and I'll tell you why. Um, the law that governs most of these plans is ERISA, you know, 1974. Yes. Employee Retirement Income Security Act. And, you know, it's complicated. There's a lot of fiduciary liability for the business owners. But think about it. If you're a construction firm or a doctor's office or, or a, um, a landscaping firm, you have to follow the same rules that Apple follows, that Microsoft follows, that Disney follows. You know, these are 401k plans with billions of dollars in them. They have HR departments. They have benefit departments and 401k people employed for them to right. watch that plan. You're a business owner, you have an office manager who wears a bunch of different hats. Of course. So you need help from, from people like yourself, from uh, financial advisors, from you know, more engaged vendors, let's put it that way. Well, one of the things that I found as the financial advisor on plans is the greatest value that we provide to the business owner who's either setting up a plan or moving it over is helping them identify the right type of plan to That's have right. as well as... Um, we provide guidance to the employees because, mm -hmm. as you indicated, uh, maybe uh, what I've observed is maybe 
one quarter to one third of the actual participants in the plan know what they're doing. And yeah, that's not that's, that's a knock on it. Well, <laughs> yeah. and so we provide <clears throat> guidance. That's As right. you indicated, mm -hmm. the, the target retirement fund is great for someone who wants to put it on autopilot, but it doesn't take account all the other factors that could come into it, mm -hmm. such mm -hmm. as what their risk tolerance is. Mm -hmm. Do they have other forms of income coming in? When are they actually taking That's it? Right. So there's a lot of different things. So mm -hmm. you work with the 401ks, but what about governmental, play or uh, you got nonprofits or 403bs, right. right? By and large, yeah, 403bs are actually older than the 401k. The 401k, first one was written in 1980. Uh, suburban Philadelphia, Ted Banas, the father of the 401k. But 403Bs precede that, and they're mostly nonprofits, uh, public school teachers, right. um, things like that. So, so you'll see 403Bs in the nonprofit world, and then governmental entities will traditionally have a 457 plan. The rules for these three different kinds of plans, 401k, 403b, 457, used to be much, uh, much more different, you know, but over the years, Congress has kind of gotten involved and, and the rules are a little bit more, there, there's some subtle differences between all three plans, but they're more similar now than they used to be. Well, yeah, I mean, from my <clears throat> perspective is, and, and it, the 401k is the 403b, mm -hmm. for all intents and purposes, We're one is the profit. Yeah. But doesn't the 457, I don't know enough about it because I don't do a tremendous mm -hmm. amount of work with governmental uh, clients, but, can't you have a 403B and a 457? Yeah, there's some, there's some ways, you know, the governmental employees, that, that's where I got my start actually working with the city of Philadelphia and their 457 plan. Um, and they do have some advantages. Uh, they, can, they can double up, like you said, you know, from 457 and 403B, some employees can do that. They have different catch-up rules. You know, we, we, we think of the traditional catch-up with a 401K as being able to contribute an extra 6,500 once right. you hit the age of 50. Right. Uh, the 457 actually gives people to really um, knock it out of the park in their last three years to take uh, take real uh, advantage of the years they under-contributed, let's put it that way. Uh, so there's some so, some subtle ways in which 457, 457s don't have uh, penalties, 10% penalties for withdrawals before 59 and a half because traditionally you have firefighters, police officers who have uh, retirement plans that oh, uh, interesting. earlier. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, so there was, you know, they, they, those plans used to not be portable either. You used to have to either take the money out or leave it in there, you know, and not, and you didn't have a rollover provision, but they've, they've changed that as well. So, um, so there's some, so, so there's some nuances to working with governmental employees, uh, nonprofits and, 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 you know, for-profit employees. But, okay. but you know, you mentioned something interesting, Mike, about one of the decisions you have to make is how to take that money out, right? It's something they didn't have to worry about with the defined benefit plan. You know, right. you, you worked for a full career and well, defined benefit means your benefit's defined. You get right. that chuck every month for the rest of your life. That's but correct. Let's say you do a good job saving. You have 500000 in your 401k. What does that mean? Well, you're 65 years old. How much do I take out a month, right? How do I make sure I don't outlive that money, right? That's where people really need the, uh, you know. I think uh, so, too. Uh, and, you know, advisors. how do you invest it? And I know that there is a... Uh, propensity for people to believe that they're jumping off the cliff the day that they're retiring. Mm -hmm. 65 is a that's date right. that's historically used. Uh, people think 67 because that's full retirement age yep. of Social Security mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. That's not relevant. But people think that they're jumping off the cliff if they're retiring at age 65 yeah. and that their money should be safe. Right. Well, one of the things that I try to explain to people is that you're not taking all of your money out at age 65. Mm -hmm. You need that money to last. I mean, you're going to live for another 20 to 25 years. Mm -hmm. You need that money to last and therefore really ought to be invested. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are afraid of that. Yep. And 
just need to be educated. Yeah, yeah, that growth in retirement. Even even some younger people just starting out, you know, you'll hear this, and I'm sure you've heard, I'm afraid of the market, there's risk in the market, things like that. And so that education is so important of like, you know, we can mitigate that risk with diversification, with some, you know, some of income course. and things like that. It all comes down to education. It's yeah. funny you referenced the millennials uh, or the younger folks, whatever, mm -hmm. is the problem they have is that we've experienced three times in the history of the markets where the markets have dropped 50%. Wow. Twice have been in the last 20 years. Yeah. So you take someone who's 30 years old, mm -hmm. they've been alive during two of those uh, drops. Yeah. So one thing we didn't get to that I really wanted to bring up is how does an employer choose a retirement plan? And I'm going to start off that with, you know, I work with the business owners and, you know, you work with the advisors who work with the business owners. Mm -hmm. So what we have a propensity to do is we start off with what is the business owner trying to accomplish? And, you know, it may sound greedy or rude or whatever the case may be, but it is what it is. Oftentimes, the employer wants to be able to choose a plan where he can maximize his contributions. There may be other times where he wants to choose a plan because it offers a fringe benefit that has become very important. I mean, I know people who say, well, I don't want to go to this particular company because they don't have a 401k. And so we hear 401k, the term, but there's simple IRAs, there's SEP IRAs, 401ks, then they have, you know, uh, new comparability plans. There's all kinds of different nuances that a business owner, if they ever wanted to choose a plan, which I opened up a plan for my business uh, about five years ago, I opened up a simple IRA because at the time I had three employees. It made sense. And about three years ago, I then switched and created a 401k. Well, what was the 401k? It enabled me as well as my employees to contribute more to the plan, plus with the Pension Protection Act that you were talking about that got ratified or finalized or whatever in 2016, opened the door for the Roth 401k. And with younger employees, the Roth 401k was something that they really wanted to take advantage of. And again, from being a financial planner and understanding the tax rules, uh, putting money in after tax was a great thing, but just created more flexibility. So. Talk to me, I kind of laid all the groundwork, yeah, but talk yeah. to me about more things beyond that when it comes to selecting a plan. Why choose Emeritus? Why not John Hancock or, mm -hmm. and, and, or Mass Mutual, which I understand is getting out of the business. Mm -hmm. You know, help me from, fill me in. Right, yeah, no, great questions, Mike. You know, I'm glad you brought up the whole thing with what you did, which is started with a simple IRA and then move to the 401k, right? And that's the first conversation that needs to be Actually, had. Actually, I had a SEP IRA before the simple. The SEP IRA was when I was self-employed and right. didn't have employees, mm -hmm. and then the simple, but go ahead. Right, but that, that's the first conversation that, you know, look, a business owner really should be relying on a trusted financial advisor. I mean, you can research this stuff on the internet. But, of course. But I can do the same thing with a, with a severe medical condition. I might not get the best consultation, oh, right? That's so, a good analogy. I so got to really reach out to somebody who does this kind of work. Some a financial advisor who, who knows 401k a little bit. Because they might say, you're not ready for a 401k. You should do that simple IRA. Right. Simple IRAs are, um, well, they're cheaper. There's no cost to administer them, really. Um, they're technically simpler. 
but they do have lower limits, they don't have a loan provision, they don't have the Roth. So, so there's different reasons to do different ones. I walked into a, a, a diner not long ago, and it was just an owner of a diner and his employee, and they were both contributing, not even the maximum, but they were paying $300 a month for a 401k. That should have been a simple IRA. Sure. Okay? And then sometimes I run into business owners where the business owner is making really good money. You know, they have the ability to contribute up to you know, $58,000 a year in a 401k, if you, if you include their match and their profit sharing, and they're still doing a simple. Like, they should be doing the 401k. Of so, so that's the kind of stuff really plan design. With. That's right. So, so you know, a simple IRA, SEP, solo 401k, group 401k, that's the, that's the first decision. Um, and then the next decision is hopefully that, that financial advisor can go out and take a look, look at a couple of good companies. You mentioned a couple of those companies are all good companies. Uh, it's just a matter of the trust level that you have with the advisor, with the company that you hear from. Look at the fees. You know, the fees are supposed to be reasonable and customary. Uh, and just be aware of your fiduciary obligations uh, as the sponsor of the 401k, right. as the business Right, being the owner. business that's owner. That's right, that's right. You know, so, you know a lot about that, about yeah. fiduciary. So one of the things that, um, you know, for anybody who's a business owner and a small business owner, mm -hmm. um, my first introduction to a retirement plan was in 2005. Mm -hmm. And this particular gentleman, comparable to you, mm -hmm. had introduced this thing called the new comparability plan. Yep. I'm like, what in the world is this? Well, in this particular instance, I had three owners who were older and they had one employee who was younger and it enabled them to contribute mm -hmm. based upon a formula, which I haven't figured out yet. Mm -hmm. And I love math, I haven't figured that one yeah, out yeah, yet. Yeah. Based upon their age and their revenues, which enabled them to contribute like 60,000 or you said 58,000 right. to their plan and, and just contribute some also as a profit sharing, but they were able to contribute a boatload of money to their retirement, which was a great thing. That's a great thing, yeah. It's funny, you know, we go back to ERISA, the, uh, you know, the law in 74. Most of what ERISA is focused on is non-discrimination. In other words, right, you know, exactly. you're right, going right, to offer right. a plan. You can't say, hey, I want to give a contribution to Joe, but not to Susie, you know, that kind of thing. You have, <laughs> if you're going to give 3%. But I like Joe better. That's, that, <laughs> that's what they're trying to prevent, okay? So, so, you know, you generally have to give equal benefits to everybody who's eligible in the plan. Right. But that new comparability feature, it's a profit sharing sharing feature, which lets you give more to the higher paid uh, employees, the owners and the older ones, because they need to replace more for retirement. Right, that's so, so it's not really unfair when you look at it from that perspective. You can do what's called a prorated profit sharing plan and give 5% to Joe and Susie and you, but the new comparability looks at the higher compensated employees who are getting close to retirement and says they need to make up more uh, right. retirement income. When Absolutely, you know, when and, and that's a fact too. That's right. So, right. Tell me about what happens when, um, how, how do individuals choose, go about, how do you recommend one who is a do-it-yourselfer okay. to choose their investments or mm. better yet, let's, let's go up the ladder yep. a little bit. I'm recommending that a company, so we'll think about it from the business owner, he's going to establish a plan. What do you do to recommend to the business owner for the selection of investments within the plan? Because we kind of talked about, mm -hmm. and I thought about it afterwards, we kind of talked about how we guide the individual. Mm -hmm. but how do you guide the business owner who's establishing right. the plan for choosing investments? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it gets into that whole uh, fiduciary word because, you know, a lot of business owners don't realize it, but once they sponsor a plan, they're what's called a fiduciary, which Correct. means they have an obligation to make decisions about that plan that are in the best interests of the plan participants. And that includes picking the investment options and making sure they're properly monitored. 
Mike, you know this. Most business owners, even the smartest, most sophisticated ones, aren't good at this. Okay. It's and not even that they're not good at it. It's not what they do. It's not what they do every and day. Exactly. Not, they don't have the time for it. So, so yeah. So they look to us. They look to us right. professionals. We put together a diversified lineup. It's going to include probably those target date funds or some kind of managed account that they could default their participants into. And then just the traditional asset classes, large cap, mid cap, small mm -hmm. cap, a little bit of international maybe, bond funds, a cash account, and things like that. But then the important thing is to make sure that's monitored going forward. Right. Okay. We work with services like, you know, I'll throw out phrases like 321 fiduciary or 330 fiduciary. They'll take that responsibility off the plate of the business owner. I've seen that before, yeah. and I was going to bring that up. I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. And for a nominal fee, you have a third party yeah. doing it. That's what Mesero does, it's, right? It's exactly Mesero, Morningstar, right. companies out there that do right. this. And it's the industry standard now for a small business because, again, there's too much risk. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, we, we've seen lawsuits in the larger plans, right? Uh, lawsuits where plan participants have sued the um, company because the share class they, was, they were using was too high for the fund or they weren't monitoring the funds and they had one and two star funds in there. So by using, you don't see the lawsuits too much in, in the smaller plans, but you will see, you know, there is, there's still oversight. There's still the Department of Labor who might come knocking at your door and say it's time for an audit. So you really want to use one of these expert services that will, uh, that will cover your, um, cover your bases, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's, that's the word. <laughs> that's the Starts word. with a B. There's another word that we could all use, too. Yeah, one so, of us was going to use it. <laughs> um, one of the things that, you know, and, and this is getting, I'm finding that it's nice to have that third party because yes. me as a financial advisor, I also don't want that liability. No. Okay. Now that doesn't mean we don't have the ability, but it always is nice to pass off liability. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that the business owners prefer sure. to not have the liability. Um, but generally, when I've selected investments for a plan, you have to balance. Um, usually, I could pick from 300 investments, yeah. and I could put all 300 in there, but. You're going to blind people. That's right. Yeah. And there's going to yeah. just be too much. They're not going to know what to do. Mm -hmm. And what I've done is I've tried for the purpose of diversification, which I'm a, a believer in, you diversify, is you at least pick from the different asset classes mm -hmm. and you give the people the ability to have other things that they may have believe in. They may believe in gold, in oil, yeah. or real estate. And so I generally like to do that. Now, yeah. what about changing plans? And that's mm -hmm. one thing I wanted to talk to you about because how monumental of an effort is it for a business owner who either has a plan that is being charged too much mm -hmm. internally mm -hmm. or whatever the reason is that they want to switch plans? First of all, under what circumstances might a business owner want to switch plans and what does it take to do it? Great question. Um, well, first of all, it's something they should consider every three to five years, and that's as per the Department of Labor. Department of Labor says, look, go out and benchmark this plan every three to five years. I mean, just get other quotes and, and see if your, your fees are still customer, uh, what did I say? Customer. Reasonable and customary. Right, right, right. Right. Uh, your, your investments are being properly monitored. You're getting appropriate you know, value for the certain, you know, you're getting the services that you should be getting, you know. So you go through this process every three to five years. Um, you know, by and large, you know, you know, people move their plans, Mike, because of service. Uh, service issues. People might move their plan because of expenses. The current provider isn't uh, able to lower their expenses to appropriate rate. Um, technology, you know, there could be all kinds of reasons why some, why somebody moves a plan. But, you know, before you get there, make sure that you're doing, you're going through that process. You know, benchmark it, getting other quotes. Worst case scenario, you take that quote and you put it into a file so that if you do get audited, 
You did your job. You're being a good steward of the plan when you do that. That's what's right. important. Right, and, and the business owner should do that periodically. Yes. I know I had actually done it for a client that I provided them the plan mm -hmm. in 2005, right. but that plan was a startup plan. Mm -hmm. And because it was a startup plan, mm -hmm. it had really high fees. That's right. And I understand that because you know the the the, the 401k mm -hmm. company like yourself, the the minister, not right. the term right, um, they get paid based on the assets that are in the plan because the business owner isn't writing you a check. Mm -hmm. Well, if there's no assets in the plan, they need to build a higher percentage rate. Sure. Well, once the plan got to be about a million dollars, that rate was too high, mm -hmm. and that company wasn't able to negotiate it. Yeah. At which point, that's what I did is I shopped the plan. Yeah. Now, what if I find, too, a lot of companies will have, let's say I, I sold a plan to a particular company, and I leave the company, I leave my company, I disappear, mm -hmm. I leave the business, I retire, whatever. Mm -hmm. What does a company do to bring another advisor in? Do they look for another plan? Do they seek an advisor? What mm -hmm. do you recommend? There may be business owners looking at watching right. this right now. What do you recommend? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so yeah. I run into this quite frequently, actually. You know, the advisor who wrote the plan has moved on. He's in the, um, I don't know, apparel business now or is retired. Um, sometimes advisors just don't do the job. Sometimes advisors that's true. aren't interested oh in servicing it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, and that's a fairly easy process. And, again, it starts with, you know, just like we hire everybody, Mike. It's, it's who do you trust? You know, do you have a trusted advisor in your life? Talk to somebody and say, hey, can you perform this function for me? Right. And that's a fairly easy process. It's, a, it's, just, it's typically just a letter from the, uh, the uh, trustee of the plan, the business owner typically, saying, you know, somebody, you know, Fran or Joe or Susie is now the advisor on my plan. And they become the advisor. And then they can do the functions of what a good advisor does, which is getting other quotes, strengthening the fund lineup, making sure the services are being provided that the, that the plan participants and the, uh, okay. the employer needs. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I've noticed is the giant plans are like your vanguards yep. and your fidelities. Yep. However, they usually don't have an advisor with them. Mm -hmm. So how competitive are you against those particular plans? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I mean, there's different, there's different vendors for different size plans. So Fidelity, uh, Vanguard, T. Rowe Price, you're going to see those on the jumbo plans. And, and you're going to see more of, um, you know, the insurance companies and the smaller plans, Emeritus, John Hancock, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Voya and Power, so to speak. So, you know, we're always trying to kind of find our space. We know that our bread and butter is on the smaller plans, the plans that are under $10 million. Um, and, and, and if you think about it, 90% of the plans in the country are in that threshold. 90% of the plans that are in the country are under $10 million because right. there's so many small businesses. Sure. There's 15 trillion in assets, but most of the assets are in the larger plans because there's billions in the right, Microsoft. Right, right. So I don't think we're ever going to be in a position where we're going to go after Microsoft or Disney sure. or, or, or sure. uh, Apple. But, um, but, but that's but not where the most of the plans are. It may be most of the money, are, but yeah. not most of the plans. Yeah. And these are the people that need the help. I enjoy, again, I enjoy giving the help to the business owners, the plan participants who really need it. Well, good. Yeah. So believe it or not, our time is up. <laughs> it goes quick. Oh, so, so how do you wrap up? Yeah, well, wrap up. What I'd like you to do is take a look in the camera, and I want to just tell people who might be viewing, okay. whether it be an HR person, a business owner, uh, you know, how they would proceed with potentially changing their plan, how they could get a hold of you, what the best way, you know, take this opportunity yeah. to, to get the viewers to know more about you and how they can contact you. Yeah, so I'm Nick Kennedy again, Regional Vice President with Emeritus Retirement. I'm based just outside of Philadelphia, west of Philadelphia. My number is 610-297-2987. And it's nicholas.kennedy, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dot Kennedy 
at emeritus.com. So again, I work with financial advisors, their small business owner clients, and, and the plan participants. If you need any help, reach out to me. Nick. Thank you very much. Thanks, I appreciate you coming yeah, on the show. It. And, you know, thank you for joining us. Uh, 401k plans, as we indicated, as part of the retirement planning, is a very, very important component of <clears throat> retirement planning. And so most people these days have gotten accustomed to having a 401k plan and not really, you know, working with advisors or not with advisors for contributing to the plan. But today is a little more focused on the business owner. You know, what does the business owner do far as, you know, the process of do I create a plan for my business? What type of plan do I create for my business? And from there, what's the best way of doing it? And, you know, so thanks to Nick, he's provided us with some ideas of the things that you need to consider as a business owner for what type of plan you should have and the things that you should consider. So I hope everybody learned something today. And if there's anything that, um, you know, we could provide, please feel free to call Nick or me. And thank you. I appreciate you tuning in. And we will see you next week as we begin the first of a two-part series on Social Security, which is also another retirement planning component, but also extremely important. Have a great week, and from your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, thank you for joining us. Have fun.